This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? First of all, I just want to say thank you to our worship team. Um, yeah, I was supposed to leave worship today, but my whole family's sick. I mean, like, my kids are sick, my wife's sick, everybody's at home. I probably should be at home, but I'm here because somebody had to preach today. So, um, But I just want to say thank you to them because uh, we retooled the whole worship set yesterday. They were so gracious about that and came in and pretty much just nailed it. And so, um, can you just give them a round of applause just, uh, and appreciation for them? That's a lot of work, and I appreciate that from them. Now, in your worship guide today, as you came in, there's a card that looks like this, You Asked, We Answered. Uh, every June, we do a series called You Asked, We Answered, and we give you an opportunity to put some kind of input into that series by asking us to preach on a topic. And so, if there's a topic that you would like to hear a message on, maybe your finances, maybe it's parenting, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's how do I do business in a Christian way, whatever it is, whatever question you have that's lingering and that you would love to hear a message delivered from here on, I would love for you to just fill this out. You can drop it in the offering when we receive it later on. Uh, that's you asked, we answered, and this is going to be the last week we get to vote. If you already voted, you can vote again, okay? All right. Now, um, as we get started today, uh, we are in a series called Redo. And if you haven't paid attention to the title slide, uh, the word redo is actually found in the word freedom. And uh, I love that because really the, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is the grandest invitation into freedom that we've ever been given. Right? God overcame sin in the grave, the greatest enemies that we would ever have. And he gave us in the resurrection an opportunity for a second chance, an opportunity for a redo. And so for the whole month of April, instead of just having one big Easter Sunday, we're just going to celebrate the resurrection all month and talk about the implications of the resurrection throughout the entire month of April. Now, as we get started, I want to say thank you because we got a lot of people that are watching online, a lot of people that have decided to join us. They're over in overflow. So good to have you guys all with us. It's good for you to join us here today. My message is entitled, Overcoming Failure. Overcoming Failure. And it's one of those that I'm just going to be Real practical today, it's going to be real pastoral in nature, and we're going to walk through a story that I believe if we'll just let it sink into our hearts can open us to the pathway to overcoming the failure that we've experienced in life. Now, the reason that we're going to talk about this today is that you will experience failure. Well, that's not that's not a, um, a a possibility. It's not uh, just the the kind of I'm not just suggesting it. No, you will experience failure. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen to you. Okay, you're going to experience failure. You're going to suffer at the failure of others, your bosses, your your people that you are in relationship with. You're going to experience failure. And see, here's the thing about failure. To talk about failure, you have to talk about success. And failure isn't always an issue of success. It's often an issue of sin. It's often an issue of sin. The failure that we experience in life is often an issue of sin. 
Now, we find in Romans the grandest comprehensive presentation of the gospel that the Apostle Paul would ever write. In Romans 3.23, the Bible says that everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, pay attention to this because I want you to look at this first for, for just a moment because in this verse is contained something that's very important for us to just kind of accept. All right, we, we push against this notion. We fight against this notion. We mentally try to work our way out of this notion. But see, the truth is, is that this notion is important for us. Look at this. That we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. We've fallen short of God's glorious standard. His standard is glorious. It's good. The way that God wants us to live is the best way that we could possibly live. It's without question exactly what we all need and would want. I mean, it is the best case scenario for all of us, but we've all fallen short. We've all fallen short. Now, many of us have a hard time with that. We have a hard time with the truth that we've fallen short of the standard to which God has set. We, we don't like to think about it that way. We don't like to think about ourselves as sinners. As a matter of fact, many of us would label ourselves perfectionists. How many of y'all would say I'm a perfectionist? All right. Some of y'all are willing to admit that. All right. Some of y'all aren't willing to admit it. Actually, if you went to a psychologist, they would label perfectionism a personality disorder. It's un unfair to some of y'all. I just totally baited you into admitting that you have a personality disorder, okay? This is what perfectionism is uh, defined as. Perfection is strained compulsively and unceasingly towards unobtainable goals and measure their self-worth by productivity and accomplishment pressuring oneself to achieve unrealistic goals inevitably sets the person up for disappointment. Perfectionists tend to set unrealistic expectations for others and be harsh critics of themselves when they fail to meet their standards. There's many of us that can identify with that. Many of us can identify with the precepts of what it means to be a perfectionist. In some ways, we act this way. In some ways, we don't. And here's some different ways that we can act like perfectionists. Sometimes we don't think that we have sinned. Right? You, you get in a conflict with your spouse. Your spouse points something out in you, and you push against the notion that you actually have sinned. No, I didn't do that. I didn't mean to do that. That wasn't my intention. Have you ever noticed that we judge other people by their behavior, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. I didn't mean to do that. Sometimes we don't think we will sin. Some of our, our friends might say, hey, you know what, I, I noticed that there's this happening, and I see kind of what could be, and, and I'm worried. I'm worried about you. And we go, oh, but I'm not going to be that guy. I can't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. My future is not gonna be that. I mean, I know it's worked that way for uh, you know everybody else, but it's not. That's not me. I will not sin. And then lastly, I think that sometimes we act like we can't sin. We don't think we can sin. When we look into situations and circumstances, and we say, you know what, 
I don't think I could even possibly do that. All of those ways of thinking are broken and messed up. They're all broken and messed up. And some of you might be thinking, that's not me. I'm not that kind of a perfectionist. I'm not, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. But let, let me just ask you a simple question. When was the last time you repented to someone? When was the last time you repented? I don't mean apologize. I don't mean say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I struggle with that. I mean repent. I sinned. I fell short of God's standard. I failed you. And I'm repenting. When was the last time you repented? For many of us, it's way too long. And the truth is, is that we struggle with that precept of thinking that we can be, if we could just work a little bit harder, we can be perfect. But we're going to experience failure. So what kind of failure are we going to experience? Number one, we blow it on our own. Some of you have blown it on your own. I tell you, I have. Blown it on our own. Now, here's the thing about that. Sometimes we, we just think that we can't do anything right. We get in this situation and we're like, man, you know, I have just, I have just failed and failed and failed. And the truth is, is that a lot of times we're in situations that we've created we, we're the ones who chose to walk away from God's path. We're the, chose, we're the ones who chose to do it our way. And so we're the ones that really aren't getting it right because we've been invited to get it right by God. But we're not. We blow it by following someone. We blow it by following someone. They say that most of us are the average of our five closest friends. Five closest friends. Think about that. Who are your five closest? Do they have the kind of relationships that you want? Sometimes we get into trouble because we follow people in our lives into problems. That's why they, they say that if you show me your friends, I can show you your future. Our friends are very, very important. And sometimes we blow it by following someone and sometimes we just blow it together. Can I just be honest with you for a moment? Just honest. We're in tax season, right? Everybody around here is either loving or loathing the fact that we have to pay taxes. Some of y'all are like super stoked about it because you're getting a big return, right? Some of y'all are pretty upset because next week you have to pay taxes. But we're in tax season, and pretty much every person in here is a tax-paying American citizen. Here's the problem with that, that many of us have never considered. As citizens with the right to vote, we're responsible for the people that are elected and put into office. And because we pay taxes, we fund the government of the United States. When the government of the United States sins, I'm talking even in 
a small way, let's just say they accidentally drop a bomb on an unsuspecting village. When the government of the United States sins, we sin. Sometimes there are sin issues that are so pervasive and deep that they go deep into who we are. That's why we deal with cultural issues like racism and sexism because it's so easy for the dominant perception to become sinful and we're around a bunch of people who think and act and perceive the way that we do. And we blow it together. So what I'd like to do is look at the life of a man named Peter who shows us in several circumstances how to overcome failure. And Peter's life is kind of like a roller coaster. I mean, in one moment, he's telling Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus is like, yes, the, nobody has told you that. My Father revealed that to you. And then literally minutes later, Jesus is calling him the devil. All right? That's his life in a nutshell. Just a roller coaster of emotions and obedience and disobedience and trials and tribulations and success. In Luke 22, the Bible talks about a moment with Peter. Where at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus has been sentenced um, to die, and Peter is following in the crowd behind him. He's identified as being one of Jesus' followers by a little girl, a little servant girl, as the Bible describes it. She says, hey, weren't you one of his followers? Peter, Peter says, no. And then somebody in the crowd says, no, no, you were one of them. And he says, no. And then another person speaks up and says, hey, I know you. You're from Galilee, where Jesus is from, and you were one of his followers. And he says, I never knew the man. All within moments, Jesus completely or Peter completely rejects Jesus. Jesus is crucified and buried and resurrected. And I love that John 21, as the writer of the gospel, the best friend of Jesus, records the end of the story as the, the apostle John tells us how this all wraps up. He includes the story that is so important. We find Peter doing what he was doing when Jesus first met him. Peter is fishing. He's been fishing all night long. I don't know if any of y'all ever go fishing, all right? Can I just say this? I have never been fishing all night long, and I haven't caught anything. If I've been fishing, and it's like 15 minutes, and I haven't caught anything, I'm ready to go home, all right? I'm just done, all right? But that's not, that's not these guys. They're still at it. They're professional fishermen. They're trying to make a living, right? So it's been all night long. No fish, no fish, no fish. And from the shore, they hear a voice. Throw your nets to the other side. And they do. And they catch so many fish that the nets almost break, so much so that they actually record in Scripture the number of fish, 153 fish that they catch. Because I guess if you've been fishing all night long and you hadn't caught anything, you'll take anybody's advice, right? <laughs> Just whatever will work, right? 
And so they do this, and John records that in that moment, he yelled out, that's the Lord. The person who yelled that was, was Jesus. And Peter has a Forrest Gump moment. Y'all remember in Forrest Gump when Lieutenant Dan shows up and Forrest Gump jumps off the boat and the boat's still going, but he's swimming to Lieutenant Dan. You remember that? Peter has a Forrest Gump moment and he swims from the boat to Jesus. And they eat together and they dine together. And at the end of the day, Jesus is going to take Peter aside. He's going to say to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, Lord, you know I love you. And feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. You know all things. You know that I love you. Three times for the three times that he had denied him. And then as he wraps up his conversation with Peter, it's so interesting that he ends with the same words that he used to invite Peter into this journey. In John 21, verse 19, he says to Peter, Then Jesus told him, follow me. Follow me. And in that small caveat of a story, we see three things that we need to do if we have personally failed to overcome that failure. The first thing is that we need to approach Jesus. We need to approach Jesus. Just like Adam and Eve, when we've sinned, we run. That's what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. They ran. They hid. That's what we do when we've sinned. But Peter does something very different. Jesus shows up after his massive failure. Right? And what happens? He jumps out and swims to him. He goes to him. He approaches him. And if we've failed personally, we need to be willing to approach God. Number two, we need to humble ourselves under his authority. Humble yourself under his authority. Notice that as Peter's asked those questions, he doesn't push against the notion that he's failed. He doesn't push against the notion that Jesus needs to ask those questions. He just humbly responds to the questions. Of course, God, you know that I love you. You know all things. And when we've failed, we need to humbly respond to the authority that God is supposed to have in our lives. And lastly, we need to respond to his mercy and follow him out of the failure. See, most of the time when we personally fail, we get into the failure because we decided to follow our own way. We decided to do it our own way. We decided to be our own person, to do our own thing, to abandon the principles that God has. So if we're going to get out of the failure, we've got to do exactly what Jesus invited Peter to do. We have to follow him out. It doesn't in there for Peter. If that had been my experience with Jesus, I'd like to think that I would never have to be corrected again. <laughs> All right? You know what I mean? If, if Jesus had to personally come and find you and reinstate you because you had denied him three times, I would love to think that I would never need ever for the rest of my life to be corrected again. But that's not how it went for Peter. Peter's a lot like the rest of us, right? 
Because how many of y'all know you need your butt kicked about every day, right? Right. I mean, it's just kind of how it is. I need to be reminded every day who's in charge. I need to be reminded every day. And Peter was apparently one of those guys who he would get it right and then he would kind of begin to struggle because there's this issue that Peter's going to begin to struggle with. Now, it's kind of like I described earlier, how we can all fail together. When we live in this common cultural precept that things are supposed to be a certain way, but that certain way that we think that things are supposed to be is broken. Peter came from a very Jewish background. And in the early church, there was this tension. Are the new Christians going to follow the Jewish law and obey all the Jewish law so that they can be Christians? Or are we just going to say that it's faith in Jesus alone that saves you? They decided Jesus set us free from the law because he took the law on himself at Calvary. And so he set us free from that to live in following him. It's what he did. Beautiful, wonderful, amazing gift. And so one of the issues that arose, it's a very painful one if you're a guy. It's circumcision. Okay, There were a group of people who taught, if you want to be a Christian, you need to be circumcised first. Which I'm just going to say, if that's what we taught today, we wouldn't have anybody, okay? Because I would be like, I'm out. I'm not doing that. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, so it's one of those very weird tensions that emerged in the early church. And Peter meets up with a guy named Paul. Now, you know the Apostle Paul, right? My hero in the New Testament wrote two-thirds of the New Testament is responsible for planting churches all around the Mediterranean rim, right? The Apostle Paul, an amazing man. Him and Peter are in the same town in Antioch, and this is how it goes. Watch this. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. Now, if you know the Apostle Paul, you know this is about to go not very well for Peter. All right? This doesn't look like the horizon is not very good in the story for Peter right now. When we first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, James would be James the Apostle. All right? So Peter wouldn't eat because these are Jews. Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Here's the problem. Peter's afraid of being criticized for doing what he knows is right. And so because of that, he's going to drift into a pattern of behavior that would have been normal. For somebody from his background, it would have been normal. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are both Jews by birth, not sinners like the, if you notice the quote, that means that the Apostle Paul is quoting Peter. Like you've called them sinners simply for being Gentiles. 
You and I are both Jews, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right by God or with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. I mean, that's a pretty substantial public conversation between two of the foremost leaders in the early church. Remarkable. Okay? And it gives us a a simple illustration of what we need if we're ever going to overcome failure when we have failed together. The first thing is that we need somebody. We need to make sure that we have a friend that's willing to have hard conversations with us. How many of y'all know that just because of your family background, because of the way that you see the world, oftentimes we get into kind of a tribal mentality. We surround ourselves by people who only think and perceive the world the way that we do. And the problem with that is that we never get someone in our life who is willing to stand up and say, you know what? This needs to be addressed. That, no, no, the way, the way that you were talking about that person is not acceptable. We need a friend that's willing to have hard conversations with us. Do you have that kind of friend? So I think hard conversations are honestly some of the most loving things that we can do. You know why it's loving? Because when you have a hard conversation with somebody, you have that difficult conversation, hey, you know what, that, that really wasn't right. How often does that conversation go well? Not often, right? And you go into it knowing. But you care about them so much, you love them so much that you don't want them to step away from the will of God. Why? Because God's standard is glorious. What God wants for us is the best. So we need friends in our lives who are willing to have hard conversations. Number two, we need to identify the way that we're living that's going against God's design for our life. And identify the way that we're living. The Apostle Paul does that. When we're willing to embrace hard conversations, they will point us to the things in our lives that are floating against the will of God. Peter, you're worried about criticism. You're worried about people critiquing you because of who you're eating with. And because of that, you've led people literally astray and starting to believe something about the gospel that's not true. We're not made right by God, with God by what we do. We're made right with God because of what Jesus did. And Peter had blown that. And the Apostle Paul was willing to point it out. Because he was willing to point it out, things could change. You see, Jesus died on the cross. This is important and rose from the grave so that your failure wouldn't be the end of your story. So many of us get in the moments of our failure, 
and we think that we're at the end of our story. That this is all over with. I, I can't literally, I can't, it's my, my whole world is crushed. That's not true. Your failure is just the beginning of your story. The real story is going to be how you responded to the failure. Now, I told you that to talk about failure, you have to talk about success. Because that's a part of the conversation. And sometimes there's failure that looks like failure, but it's not really failure. Because of the definition of success. See, real success is simply obedience. Real success in life is simply found in being obedient to God's glorious standard for our lives. If we can just be obedient to that, then our lives become something better and grander than we could have ever imagined. But that perception of success is very different than the world's. And we see this illustrated in Hebrews chapter 11. Where the Bible talks about the great men of faith who many of us would consider successes. Uh, Abraham who believed God and had a child in his late years. Moses who led the children of Israel out of Egypt. All of these. But I want you to pay attention to how this chapter ends how much more do I need to say it would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson Jephthah, David Samuel and all the prophets by faith these people overthrew kingdoms ruled with justice and received what God had promised them they shut the mouths of lions quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to fight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. All of that looks a lot like what the world defines as success. But notice where he goes. But others were tortured. Refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. and Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received what God had promised. Because what God had promised is contained in the resurrection. See, there's a version of success where we're obedient to God. And it doesn't turn out the way that the world says success looks like. Can I just say this? 
I want to be a part of a group of people who have so bent their hearts towards obeying God that their definition is success is constantly placed in simply being obedient. So much so that we're willing to say no to that contract for our business that would compromise the integrity of the values of the business that we run. Even though it represents money, increase. They were willing to say no to that promotion or that new job. Even though it's prestigious because we know that it's not what God wants for us. We're willing to say no to our kids. When our kids want to step outside of God's will and do something that we know that God has not called them to do. Because we're willing to look like failures to be obedient. Because there is a kind of success that doesn't look like success. And sometimes we get into that season where God has called us and He's definitely positioned us and He's pointing us and and He's worked in our hearts and we're in the middle of trying to be obedient. It just gets hard. Because we're looking around and everybody else seems like they're doing really well, but we're not. Pay attention how the writer continues. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Because that's what sin does. On the journey of following Jesus, sin will trip you up. And it is so easy just to lay there. It's so easy to wallow in the failure. The Bible says that the righteous fall six times, but they rise seven. Get up. Let us run with endurance this race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now is seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Because I want you to understand this as we wrap this up today. The only real way to fail in this life-changing, never-ending journey of following Jesus, the only real way to fail is to give up. Is to give up. And that's why Jesus paid for you to have a second chance. A redo at life. When he died on the cross carrying your sins and rose to new life. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.